0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast and joining me as my co-host, Stephen Curran. If you're new to the show, we think you're in good hands. Stephen and I have 60 years of sports journalism experience. I've covered everything and anything in Houston sports for the last 18 years. Both Stephen and I grew up in Houston. We're diehards, but this isn't about just being rah-rah pom-pom waivers, we give you our journalistic take mixed a little bit with a fan take. Is that is that a good way to put it, Stephen?
1: Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, yeah, it, it, we try to keep the ob- objectivity as much as we can. But obviously, since we're both from Houston, we're passionate about Houston sports. It, it does creep in there from time to time. But I think it's a good mixed bag. And I'm glad you said 60 years of sports media experience, not, you know, like, 60 years old, between, uh, both of us, or something. <laughs> it just sounds a whole lot better. We, it sounds like we're seasoned veterans, right? Yeah, we, we, we're definitely seasoned veterans.
0: And, you know, I'll just also add that we, we try to keep it clean. So, you know, you can listen to this with your kids or your relatives or whatever. Yeah, family friendly
1: show. That's what we try to strive for.
0: Uh, let's get started uh, in this one. And, and should we start off with the Super Bowl, Stephen, JJ on SNL, or you want to break down the Roughnecks season opener this Saturday?
1: Uh, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about the Roughnecks yesterday while well, the Super Bowl was going on. I'm thinking, well, I, I guess football really isn't going to be over after all. Once the Super Bowl finishes, you know, you kind of have that uh, several-month layover. But, uh, yeah, the Roughnecks are going to be starting. Uh, I might check them out, you know, just to, just to, as much out of curiosity as anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Super Bowl, well, it was at least it was an entertaining game. You know, that's the thing you always wonder about. Is is it going to be entertaining? I for the most part I enjoyed the game. I, I have to say that, I especially I, I kind of went back and forth up until the game I guess of who I was going to cheer for, but I found myself rooting for the Chiefs for a number of reasons. Patrick Mahomes of course being from Texas. Yeah I know the Texans. You know they blew that twenty four point lead. That still stings but at least they blew it to the eventual Super Bowl champions. I guess that's the only real consolation prize you can take from that. But I also felt really good for Andy Reid. Here's a guy that uh, I've always felt he's a class act. He's coached 21 years in the NFL, has been to a Super Bowl, but has never won one until this past Sunday. So I had to feel good about uh, Andy Reid finally winning a Super Bowl.
0: If Andy Reid can finally win a Super Bowl, it's got to be a good sign for Dusty Baker and Mike D'Antoni, right?
1: Uh, yeah. I noticed you left out Bill O'Brien, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that did not go unnoticed. You, you did not include him in that in that little situation. But, yeah, Dusty Baker, Mike D'Antoni, uh, yeah. Uh, but, no, in all seriousness, Andy Reid uh, certainly did almost look like uh, he wasn't going to win it. But as they've done through the whole postseason, I mean, the Chiefs are the comeback kids this season with regarding the playoffs because they were down by 10 points, and yet – you know, they they certainly if they could come back against the Texans, a ten point lead against the Titans was nothing, and a ten point lead against the Forty ers certainly wasn't much either.
0: Yeah, I kind of stole that one from Sports Radio six tens, Adam Spillane, a friend of mine. He, he mentioned that like Dusty Baker and Mike D'Antonio, of course, you know they're known as these great coaches, but they haven't won the championship. And and you talk about Bill O'Brien. Well, for for you Bill O'Brien haters, which I guess means every Texans fan, uh, Andy Reid coached four. Eleven win seasons before he finally won the NFC championship if you go back to early in his career and it took him fourteen double digit win seasons fourteen before he won his first Super Bowl Ooh. so uh Stephen I'd say give OB a, a chance a chance maybe well
1: <laughs> uh, you know as long as the Texans continue uh, to to keep winning the afc south you know get 10 eleven wins a season I mean it, it's certainly possible you you've got to get to the playoffs before you can win in the playoffs so Obviously, if the Texans continue to get there, yeah, it's frustrating for the fans. They keep getting there and they get knocked out in the first round or maybe they get past the first round, which they did. Uh, might have run, won the second round if they just hadn't blown that lead. But, I mean, it gave us it gives us something to talk about all offseason now is is how they blew the Chiefs game. They could have hosted, you know, what what could have been the AFC championship game, maybe they would have played in the Super Bowl against the 49ers, but you have to keep getting there. So you, you hope, and, and at least as long as Bill O'Brien is here, you just have to hope that one of these days, maybe he will get to the Texans to the promised land and maybe like Andy <laughs> Reeves. You just hope it doesn't take him 21 years, though. Goodness gracious. Are you
0: saying that with a straight face? <laughs>
1: Uh, uh, yeah halfway halfway (laughs) Uh,
0: on that late go ahead touchdown was it just me who thought hey if that was the texans it would have been overturned by replay and then they would have just been stuffed on a fullback plunge or something like that yeah or (laughs) you
1: know let's say it was uh the texans who had the 10-point lead and not the 49ers and you know the other team comes back and is like well the texans they blew a lead in the super bowl so yeah it's i i hate to say it but it's it's hard not to think that way just with what Houston teams seem to go through. They, they may get there to a certain point, but then they just do something to screw it up. Yeah. That replay, I, I was watching that and I thought
0: it's, it's like, there's not quite the right angle. There's not actually a camera on the goal line, which I, I seem to think every time I watch an NFL game, I'm like, we, we can do cameras anywhere and everywhere. Half the people that I know they've got cameras on their doorbell. We can't put a camera straight down the goal line in a Super Bowl when you're spending a zillion dollars on the broadcast and you're, the whole product is... I mean, Stephen, there was like 4,000 Super Bowl dancers for J-Lo and Shakira, but we can't get a camera down the goal line. <laughs> so on a play like that, we know if he crossed the goal line or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. And of course, with it being the Super Bowl, every little thing, every big... It's, it's going to be scrutinized that much more. I mean, if it had been you know, a, a regular season game, they probably would have figured out a way. But, yeah, with the Super Bowl, you know, something is always going to be there. But at least it, I, I don't think it was, you know, a, a grave mistake. You know, it, it was one of those things that, you know, the touchdown stood. They did take a little while to review it. You no, know, I'm i serious. We're neutral
0: over at uh, my Super Bowl party. Nobody cares one way or the other. And a, right. a couple of us are looking right. at it and going, well, I don't know. Was it? Was he in? Wasn't he in? I I can't was it tell. Was put
1: down? You know, before the ball crossed the plane? Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, I I think it was a really it was a good Super Bowl, and I mean, I lived through the '80s and '90s where almost all of them were blowouts, but we've had some fantastic games. The Eagles Patriots recently. You had the the uh, Patriots and the um. it's it's always going to be the Patriots. It seems like it's the, but it was the uh, Patriots and the Seahawks game that went down to the end. The interception there by Butler, but. If you look at this game, it's up there as one of definitely the better Super Bowls of the last few years. But I just thought, how good would it have been if Garoppolo hits the receiver in stride for the touchdown late in the game in the final couple of minutes? And then Mahomes has got to come back yet again. We might have had, you know, a boom, 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 three touchdowns to end the Super Bowl. But I I got to go back to Stephen to when Garoppolo was traded to the 49ers. And I don't know what you were thinking, but I I thought, man, why didn't the Texans trade for Garoppolo? We need a quarterback. Why couldn't we have given up some picks? And this was before Deshaun Watson and all that. But after watching Garoppolo in in this playoffs and just kind of getting a good feel for him, he's one of those guys that's a game manager. And I don't think Deshaun Watson's a game man. I think he can actually get you a win. And really... If you watch the Patrick Mahomes performance, it wasn't good until the fourth quarter, until probably two or three or four minutes into the fourth quarter, and really that reminded me a lot of some of Deshaun Watson's games, especially in that Buffalo Bills game where he didn't show up in the first uh, two or three quarter. It wasn't like Mahomes was terrible early in the game, but then he just got it, it just he fell off a cliff. I thought uh, about halfway through the first half or so, and and then he was he was missing guys and. I just didn't think he was that good, but we kind of dodged the bullet, I guess, with not not getting Garoppolo.
1: Probably so. And you have to wonder, though, you know, how valuable was the fact, the the experience that Garoppolo may have gained by just playing behind Tom Brady, maybe not getting much action, but certainly observed a lot, you know, soaked up a lot of the Patriots culture. And you thought, you know, in the second half, when he certainly started catching fire, you thought, oh, you know, maybe this whole thing is going to come around and, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to take the Super Bowl. But you kept waiting and waiting and waiting for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to explode. And finally in the fourth quarter, you know, just when you thought Mahomes might be you know, caving in and collapsing, all of a sudden he starts making the big plays. You kept waiting all game for the big plays. He finally made them. And uh, so, it, yeah, I'd say it was kind of a back and forth thing where both quarterbacks kind of looked like, you know, they were on the edge of doing something great. He kind of fell back a little bit. You know, so it, it it was an entertaining kind of back and forth as far as just how the momentum would shift from one team to the other. That, that was Mahomes
0: halves. all through the playoffs though. you just described it. He, he didn't play that well to start games, but he closed out all those play. I mean, we saw him close out the Texans and he closed out uh, the Titans. I mean, he looked good when it counted. All- I mean, that's why I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL right now.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree. And, and certainly as far as being mentally tough, I'd say both quarterbacks were, were definitely in that camp. And, and that's really what made the game so entertaining. But yeah, Patrick Mahomes, you have to say, after the game on Sunday, uh, he definitely proved that you know, as far as all the way through, we're talking about through the postseason, you know, L- Lamar Jackson, as great a season as he had, he did win the, the league MVP for the season. But He's sitting at home watching the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes got his team there, and you know, to me, that was the difference. Just some of the throws he makes. He's mentally tough. You know that hit he took in the first quarter. You know, a, a lot of quarterbacks might not have been able to come back after that, but he did. Every year we, we
0: talk about the Texans getting to the Super Bowl, and and we got two guys with rings. I don't know what we're talking. I mean. Ty Matthew, we turned him into a champion. We turned Martinez Rankin into a champion, Stephen. I mean, we got it. We got this.
1: Uh, you know, it's funny. Tyron Matthew was the first person I thought of when the game was over. And, of course, you know, they interviewed him on Fox right after the game. And I thought, wow, what could have been? You know, I, I don't know if he alone would have been the difference in getting the Texans to the Super Bowl. But, hey, just with, with those players, uh, yeah, exactly. Tyron Matthew, class guy. Could have been, you know, could have continued with the Texans. The Chiefs, obviously, you know, he went there and he got a Super Bowl ring. So, yeah, and, and thinking about Kyle Shanahan, he almost got one. Just the number of Texans, I know we've talked about this on the podcast, but the number of Texans that between the two teams went to the Super Bowl and now, you know, like you said, with the Chiefs, Tyron Matthew, he's got himself a Super Bowl. Martinez Rankin got himself a Super Bowl. Can I put a
0: tombstone once and for all on the Super Bowl commercial? Can we just can we shut that down? Because when we talk about that, like it, it's they're great. Every It's been years since the Super Bowl commercials were. They've been pretty bad, actually, for the last few years. I, I, I don't know. They're, they're, maybe there's no creativity in the commercial business anymore. But, Stephen, it, it's not the same as it used to be.
1: I guess not. Although I'd say that's subjective. You know, it depends on who you read. I mean, I've read up on a lot of them, you know, says, oh, they were better than they were last year or in the last several years. And then you see some that say they just get worse every year. I guess my whole thing is sometimes I just get so overwhelmed with the pomp and circumstance that is the Super Bowl. It's not just about the game anymore. It's about the pregame festivities. You think so? You think it's not about the game anymore? (laughs) Well, I I mean, not exclusively, I guess is what I mean. The game certainly helped. But if it it was a boring game, you know, if it had been 54 to 10 or something, then, you know, that's what we would have to point to. Well, were the commercials any good? Well, was the halftime show any good? But, yeah, people were talking as much about the game, I guess, yesterday as they were the commercials or anything else. But what I'm saying is it isn't just about the game. It's about, you know, were the commercials really good or really bad? Was the halftime show really good or really bad? I'll be honest. I, I didn't even watch the halftime show. I went, you know, got some hot chocolate, got something to eat. I really didn't even – I just don't get into the halftime stuff anymore. But, yeah, the commercials, I, I, there were really very few that jumped out at me. I think my favorite was the Sonata commercial, you know, with the Boston accents. That was pretty – I have to admit, I, and I'm not from Boston, but I, I just appreciated how they, they went back and forth it. I'd say that one was the funniest one I saw.
0: No, I was being very sarcastic. I think if if you're like saying the Super Bowl is not about the game anymore, you're like 35 years too late. I mean, it's it, that 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 ship sailed ages and ages ago. I mean, you got to get the all the demographics, the people that don't care about football, and that's what the NFL tries to do. And yeah, that, to me, the the best Super Bowl commercial was I'm, I'm a Groundhog's Day is one of my favorite movies and. To have right. that on to the Super Bowls on Groundhog Day and you got Bill Murray, you know, doing a takeoff on that. That was pretty awesome. But the story uh, as far as uh, Houston goes and, and, and uh, the, the I guess the big thing outside of football this weekend, besides commercials and halftime shows and stuff like that, was J.J. Watt on, on Saturday Night Live. What did you think about J.J. on Saturday Night Live?
1: Uh, you know what? I, I honestly, I thought he was funny, and, and I thought that he was natural. I don't think he tried too hard. I, I thought he did a great job, and I, I have to say, and this is probably, I don't know, this is probably unanimous, but I, I just thought the, the whole Madden video voiceover thing. I, I oh, just I yeah. laughed at just about every take he did. I mean, it was he, he just like he just nailed it every single time. Yeah, know, you know they worked with him, I'm sure, and yeah, but gosh. I, I can't say enough about the job that J.J. Watt did on Saturday Night Live. It was awesome, and I think he, he represented Houston very, very well. No, J.J.
0: was great. He was fantastic. I mean, you see the future. I mean, we might be seeing the beginning of the end here with J.J. going Hollywood on us, and he might be in movies or other things like that. But J.J. was I, – I, I think it was really impressive to do what he did because it's hard to get up there in a live show. You can't make a mistake. You know, this is not something I don't think he's necessarily a veteran of reading, you know, cue cards and all that. So I think JJ was fantastic. The problem is SNL just sucks right now. I thought the writing you you mentioned the one piece that I thought was was really, uh, really good, which was the, the Madden deal. But, you know, a couple of them were OK. But overall, I, I mean, I, I'm just not impressed with Saturday Night Live, the writing and You know, I'm I'm not to say that I'm watching it regularly. I mean, I caught the Eddie Murphy one, but that was all Eddie, and that was fantastic. But it's it's not the same. The the stars uh, of Saturday Night Live. There's a couple people that I think are pretty good that would be maybe like middle of the pack as far as talent goes in past years. I mean, I I like Kate McKinnon, uh, but you, you just you watch that show now and you think, man, where where are the personalities? Where is the writing? Uh, th- that's a whole other story. And I thought that was the only thing that brought JJ down. <laughs> Frankly, I, th- I think he was bringing the material up maybe better than it should have been.
1: Well, no, I think you just said it right there. I, I think he was better than the material. I mean, I, you know, the, the whole Robbie thing, I just, I-, I, I liked what JJ did, but I just didn't think that the bit itself was very well presented. I, I just, I thought it was maybe a little much. Yeah. I, I think JJ was actually better than the material that they gave him. And, and I think that's a credit really to him because I've just never looked at JJ as a performer per se, but I just, I, I just think he nailed it on so many fronts. And I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched Saturday night live in, in years. I, I used to be a big fan, you know, a long, long time ago, but in recent years, I, I mean, Aside from this one, I can't tell you the last time I watched SNL. It's been 45 years. It's it's hard to keep that up every
0: single year. And it, it's been an amazing <laughs> show over the years.
1: Yeah. And I watched the, you know, when, when uh, you know, Gilda Radner, Jane Curtin, and uh, those, I, I watched it in the 70s. I was in high school then. And I honestly, I thought it was really funny then, you know, I but, you know, after that, it, it just seemed to lose its luster for me. And, and it has ever since. I got one more like
0: semi-Texan note. Just, I I thought this is interesting. So Edgerin James made the Hall of Fame this weekend. A bunch of guys got got in, but I'm going to talk about Edgerin because it's interesting. He was a two-time first-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Pro Bowler. Twice he was the NFL single-season rushing leader. And Steven, guess who else was a two-time first-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler and two-time NFL single-season rushing leader. Do you need a hint? You're referring to the Texans, I take it, right? That's correct. Yep, Arian Foster, maybe? Yeah, Arian Foster. I mean, Edgeron James averaged four yards per carry. Arian averaged 4.4. Edgeron averaged 7.8 yards per reception. Arian, 9.2. In 148 games, Edgeron had 80 touchdowns. Arian had 54 in 80 games. So if Arian... If he just had maybe two more healthy seasons, like two, I would say he'd be in Canton.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, although, you know, the funny thing about the NFL Hall of Fame, as opposed to, say, Major League Baseball, is they there have been there have some years where Major League Baseball, you might have one or two in the Hall of Fame. But the NFL, they, they seem to get at least half a dozen people in every year. And I know some you know former players have kind of knocked it, saying, well, just about anybody can get in. But I'd have to say with Arian, yeah, if, he, if his health had just held up, it, it, you know, you compare those numbers, then he's got to be in Canton or at, at some point.
0: Yeah, it's a little easy these days to get into the NFL. It's getting too easy to get in the NFL Hall of Fame there, guys. I'm just like, yeah, I watched that guy play. To me, he's not an all-time great. I, I liked Edron James. I thought he was a really good running back. If you look at his numbers in total, I mean, he played 10 years. It's hard for running back to play that long. That helped him out over 12,000 right. yards. He was a good pass catcher. He did a lot of things nice. I just thought he was a good, he was a really good running back. He just wasn't like, oh, that's all time. That's a hall of fame. I want to go see, you know, Edron James highlights
1: when I go to the hall of fame. <laughs> well, to be honest. I'd totally forgotten about him until he was announced as a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah, Edgerin James. Man, I almost forgot about him. I mean, you don't hear much about him. You know, of course, when most of these guys, when they quit playing, you don't hear much unless they make news in some negative way. But I'll be honest, I had just totally forgotten Edgerin and James. And, and, you know, he was a good player. I do not know that I would have put him in the Hall of Fame, to be honest. But he's in there. And so, yeah, you wonder if Arian Foster maybe eventually. I don't know if he'd be able to sneak in, though. Like you said, the, the health just kept him from having more productive seasons than he did. Yeah. The only thing to his benefit is Terrell Davis, but you know,
0: I don't even know if Terrell is somebody that I would put in, it. it's running backs are weird because the, a lot of them only play a couple of years, but quick aside on Edron, when he was coming out, I think it was right after he, he finished college and it's it's coming up towards the draft. I'm working in Memphis and I guess his agent was, in Memphis or a Memphis-based agent, so we went to interview him. I remember he had the he was wearing the full grill when we went to go interview him for television. I was like, yeah, I don't know about this guy, but you know, it worked out pretty well for him. Uh, let's get to the Rockets, though. Get uh, so according. This is good, um, good stuff with the Rockets because this just happened yesterday. We're recording this on Monday morning, but according to uh, Woj, the the NBA, you know, he's the NBA basically insider of insiders, Adrian Wojnarowski, the Rockets, they're engaged in a three-way trade possibility or possibilities. I guess they're working on a number of deals that might allow them to use Capella to gather draft assets needed to acquire an impact wing player. Uh, no word on who that could be, but in talks around the league, the Rockets are expressing hope they can find a deal or a series of deals that would bring back a wing and a center for Capella by Thursday's trade deadline. So Stephen, Stephen, What do you think about the Rockets uh, kind of trying to make a Mike D'Antoni make-a-wish team?
1: That's kind of what it sounds like, doesn't it? I mean, and and even some things that I've read that uh, the Rockets have basically said uh, any player is available for trade except the obvious ones, you know, Harden, Westbrook, uh, Eric Gordon, who can't be traded. But, you know, it sounds like not only Clint Capella, but, you know, even I think Daniel House's name has been thrown in there. I mean, just about everybody else. I, you know the problem is that the Rockets don't have a lot of draft assets so you're going to Capella's probably the best one you've got. Not probably the best one easily. It really is. Yeah. So but but if the, the thing is it, is it too over the top? I mean if you pull a trigger for something like Capella obviously it depends on what you get back but could you be tampering too much with the team? But I think that Capella is probably the most likely chip as far as bringing somebody back, I mean, I just think hands down, that's what they have to do if they're going to get better and bring, you know, I've, I've heard Robert Covington's name mentioned and I've heard some others, but yeah, that that's really the big deal right now is that uh, Clint Capella could be on his way out. Now, this isn't the first time that we've heard this. I know in the last couple of years, his name has been kind of bantied about in trade talks, but this is obviously the most serious it's been.
0: Yeah. They're kind of making this team. Like they, they think they're going to face the warriors in the playoffs from two or three years ago. I mean, you you look at the, the West and the Lakers right now look like the team to beat. And if you're going up against the Lakers and you get rid of Capella and you're going to go small and you're just going to get like a big wing or something like that. I mean, look at it, Steven, you've got LeBron James, Dwight Howard, uh, Anthony Davis, I mean, you've got three guys that are just going to be playing volleyball up in the air. with The the Rockets aren't going to be able to get a rebound. I mean, the playoffs is a whole different entity. It's like, okay, yeah, they're winning, playing small ball right now. Who are they beating? They're beating Dallas without Luka. They're beating a New Orleans team that's not, you know, it's not a playoff team at this point. Uh, They beat a Jazz team that, I mean, you, you could face the Jazz in the playoffs, but let's face it, the Jazz are maybe the third or fourth or fifth best team that you're, I mean, that you're worried about. I mean, that, that that's not who I'm worried about in the playoffs is, is the Utah Jazz. And the other thing is, you, you just caught them on a night where they couldn't prepare because it's like all of a sudden they look down and wait, wait, Capella's not playing, Harden, Westbrook, and they probably just like breathed out for a second. And then you got 50 points by Eric Gordon, that helps. But I, this feels like uh, Mike D'Antoni's running the show and should Mike D'Antoni, who's a lame duck, you know, coach, should he be running the show for, for a Rockets team right now?
1: Yeah, I feel that way. And this whole thing with small ball, I, I just don't see them winning a championship with it. Let's let's take the Pelicans game for an example. The Pelicans were pushing the Rockets around for most of the game. It wasn't until the fourth quarter that the Rockets suddenly decided to start rebounding. And, you know, they they did win the game, but it was later in the game that they started boxing out. And so th- this whole small ball lineup, I, I mean, every once in a while, it might get you something. But you know, you get deeper into the season and you certainly get in the postseason. I, I don't see it making a difference for the Rockets in that regard. So, yeah, I, I absolutely think I, I'm just not sure that's the way to go. If you're Mike D'Antoni is this small ball lineup thing, it, it's not going to be consistent. And again, you know, the, the Rockets, if, if they're going to win in the postseason, they've got to play defense. That's as much a key as, as having size up front. Yeah, it's
0: like, well, OK, we're going to just keep adding offense, keep adding offense, keep adding offense. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Bill O'Brien, which concerns me. It's just, I, don't, I don't like the way it's it's moving. And, you know, speaking of, of of a guy, though, that can play defense, but where what happened to his offense? P.J. Tucker shot less than 30% from three in December and January. Less than 30% in the last two months. Didn't look good on Sunday. Whoever stole P.J. Tucker's confidence, Steven, can you please give it back to him? What the hell's Go on. What, what what happened to his jump shot?
1: Well, I don't know, and I mean, you hate to think that his age is is what's catching up with him. And he's certainly an older player, but you know, maybe take two or three years off his age, and, you know, bring bring some young legs back, something. But yeah, it's been consistently not good with with PJ Tucker the last few weeks.
0: Have you noticed that every time he gets the ball now and he's got a he's got a wide open corner three, he fakes the shot and then tries to drive to the back. I mean, to me, that's like. Okay, PJ, you might as well just throw it to the other team because if you're going to try to fake it and drive to the basket like you're Harden or Westbrook or you know Kobe Bryant or something like that to to bring in uh, you know the, the the talk of the last week, we're in trouble. I mean, PJ's just got to like I said, his confidence looks absolutely shot. I watch him shoot, and it looks like he's aiming the basketball. I mean, the, the Rockets they need a shot doctor more than any team because. You look at James Harden, it takes a month to correct his shot. Daniel House is out there throwing, you know, he'll have a game where he'll throw up, you know, three or four shots that barely hit the rim or air balls like he did uh, early on Sunday. I mean, finally, he he got it together a little bit in the fourth quarter, hit a couple of threes in the fourth, but I, they need a shot doctor. I, I don't know who's working with this on the Rockets, but, you know, you could say it's confidence, but I feel like, Part of that is you've got to have somebody that's a coach that's going to instill that confidence and work on the shot and all that sort of with all that Dan Tony's done offensively over the course of his career. Stephen, that's one thing that I I just don't see with the Rockets is the the shots don't improve. They don't get out of slumps particularly easily. I I don't know what's going on, but that concerns me.
1: Well, I think that's just another reason that I've just never been a fan of this whole you know, live and die by the three thing. I mean, confidence is part of it. And, and the one thing I will say, when you talk about players like PJ Tucker or Daniel House, or players like that, that you you can't have hesitancy when you're throwing up threes. you you've, you've got to be you've got to be not only precise, but you've got to be sure that's the shot you want to take because any hesitancy is all you throw it up there, and it's probably not going to go in. But I think it's just a combination of all of those things. And, and I'm just not a fan of this feast or famine on threes business, that uh, the Rockets just, they they have to do a better job of when they do go inside, making layups, making dunks, and then making the threes when they count. So yeah, I, I just have never bought into this whole system of uh, jacking up so many threes. When they fall, it's great. Hardly anybody can beat the Rockets, but that is not going to happen night in and night out And certainly not during the postseason.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Rockets, uh, they've got to get some consistency because that's that's been a problem. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I I don't think when you come to to this trade deadline, Stephen, you can't panic. You can't panic because if you start giving away draft picks and doing all this stuff because you think you're legitimately going to win the championship, I mean, they would have to make a a massive move. I I just don't see it happening. I mean, you're fifth or sixth in the West. There's you know, less than a third of the se- or about a third of the season to go. I mean, we, we, we think that we're not that far into the season because the all-star break hasn't happened yet, but we're, we're, we're past the halfway point. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, I just think, you know, you, you cannot panic in this on this trade deadline.
1: No, you certainly don't want to. And to think about, you know, you get rid of a major piece like Capella and then whomever you bring in, it's going to take them time to gel. And unfortunately, with, especially with the way things are with the Rockets in the West, kind of in the middle of the pack, you don't have a lot of time to adjust. I mean, if they want to go on another losing streak, they're going to be in trouble. Uh, you know, the, they could even be on the outside looking in in the postseason if something like that happens. So, yeah, I think you're playing a very dangerous game when you pull a trigger like that and just hope you can bring in somebody that can suddenly make the team turn around And they go on a big hot streak because, yeah, if they falter, if they continue to falter off and on throughout the season, not only are they not going to get the high seed that you want, you know, whether it's home court advantage, top three or four seeds, they they could be looking at seven, eight, maybe even on the outside looking in. I mean, that is not out of the realm of possibility with this team. Yeah, You
0: just don't know what to expect
1: from night to night, but it looks like. Maybe
0: James has his shot back. We'll see. It's it's maybe a couple of the last three games he's looked okay. And then Re- Westbrook now struggling a little bit. You know, he's iffy at times. You just never know what to expect with these guys, and, and that's the problem. I don't think that's a – that, that doesn't remind me of a championship team that all of a sudden they're going to figure it out.
1: No, usually not. And, of course, we've had injuries to deal with. You know, Harden's had his injuries, and Westbrook with a thumb issue. Capella's – you know, it just – But it's always something. But the fact is, is the great teams pull it together when they need to and consistently when they need to. And the Rockets, I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast, I mean, if you think the Texans are unpredictable, you you have absolutely no idea from one night or one day to the next which Rockets team you're going to find. And boy, we've talked about what an embarrassment Houston
0: sports has been over the last month or the first month of 2020, but one of the seeming bright spots had been the continued success of U of H basketball. Well, even though it doesn't quite measure up to a cheating scandal or a blown 24 to nothing playoff game, their starting point guard got himself uh in the mix of this whole 2020 bad karma stuff, Stephen. D- Diki Giroux, hey, this isn't kindergarten
1: recess, buddy, stop biting people. You know, that's the first thing I think of, Robert, is you know, when I think of biting people. I mean, uh, be- before the, the Mike Tyson-Evander Holyfield, you know, biting ear incident and other things, when I think of biting people, I think of kids in a daycare who, you know, they, they act out their aggressiveness by biting someone, and that's something you're supposed to cure in childhood. What What is the deal with maybe not fully grown, but almost grown guys biting, you know, De'John Giroux biting a guy's leg when they're going after a ball? And, uh, you know, it, to his credit, Kelvin Sampson – he he did kind of own up to it. I, you know, at first he obviously he was taking up for his guy. He he didn't see the angles that everybody else saw, but once he looked at it, he realized he was wrong, and he he corrected his viewpoint, suspended Giroux. but yeah, I I just I couldn't believe it when I and I did not see the Cincinnati game. I had to look at it later, the the highlights, but gosh, biting someone's leg, I just I I don't get it. It just it's like a new one. It, it, it totally, when you think you've seen it all, you've seen something else. And if people missed
0: it, uh, geez, Dekey he goes by Dekey I mean, we call him right. Dejan, but he goes by Deaky. He wasn't exactly acting like a Mensa candidate a few games before that or a couple of games before that because the Cougs, if people, if you guys miss it, he was, they were up by four with seven seconds to go and they had possession. This is in, this is in Houston at the Fertita Center, this is the UConn game. UConn, not exactly a juggernaut. You think with well, seven seconds to go, I don't even care who it is. You're up by four. Game over, right? Nope. Somehow, Deke almost single-handedly blew the lead. Gets a technical foul for taunting the opposing head coach. What? And then he took a five-second call on the ensuing inbound pass, even though he had a timeout to use. They barely escaped with the win. Jerome is looking like the polar opposite, Stephen, of last year's point guard, Galen Robinson.
1: Well, not only that, I mean, Giroux was, I, I think he won the Sixth Man Award last year in the conference, so his play has obviously dipped in, in more ways than one this season. And, you know, I felt that the Cougars certainly weren't going to have the storybook season that they had last year. They they lost, you know, Robinson and Corey Davis Jr. and some, some key players. But, you know, and then the whole incident, after that incident in Cincinnati, that you know the the Cougars just totally went on a, a scoring drought, and it, it certainly cost them the game. But they they had it in control before that, so yeah, things like that, and and just several games this year that the Cougars have have just looked like they're they're a team that is is just caving in under the pressure or just falling apart at the at the worst possible time. Well, the big problem is if
0: you look at late in games, and they're say, hey, look, they they've gotten themselves in the top twenty five. They lost a ton of guys. I, I'm not, I'm not really going after U of i I'm, I'm really going after Deke Giroux because I think Samson's doing a fantastic job over there. Uh, they really don't have the guy or two like they did last year that could get you points in a pinch like a Corey Davis or, you know, even uh, the sharpshooter uh, Amani. But, I mean, that's the problem with this team is just the offense late in games. But, you know, y- you can survive a lot if you just don't bite people and get technical fouls by yelling at the opposing coach, and you know how to get the ball inbounds and, and either call a timeout if you got one left with a few seconds. I mean, it's just all these that that stuff is about. Dickey he's got to correct that. I mean, that's that's all. I, that's the main stuff I had in and this one, Stephen. But you know the Astros, we're kind of on a wait and see with them. I mean, I, we haven't talked at all about it because we we went through Dusty Baker last week. But I mean, they're they're going to hire a GM midway through spring training according to uh according to Jim Crane so that's that's where we are not 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 really any other news with them this week that I saw
1: No not really uh, when we last discussed Dusty Baker the deal hadn't been finalized so we were kind of speculating was it going to be a very short term deal you know kind of a transition thing or not and that's what it ended up being a one year deal plus a team option in 2021 I I think that that really was the best course of action to take Robert um And and it's not just because of Dusty's age. I mean, he's 70 years old. But you think about it, Brent Strom is 71. So it's not really about the age. But I I think what the Astros need right now is a steady hand, kind of a a transition person. And you don't have a GM right now. So once you get someone in that seat, then you can look at whatever happens in the 2020 season. The Astros have put themselves in a position where they can reevaluate after the season. Do they want to bring Dusty back for another year? Obviously, It's going to depend on what they do during the season. But I I think for the short term, I think Dusty was probably the best person for the job. I think he, you know, not that press conferences really mean anything, but at least I I think he owned the room in the press conference. And I think he is the experienced hand the Astros need to bring them through a situation that's going to be different for this team and not always in a good way. Um, So from the short term aspect, I I think the Astros did a great job in, in making the hire of Dusty Baker.
0: The one thing that GM whoever it is is going to have to deal with when he gets there halfway through spring training. I mean, I I don't know what the Astros are going to do if some, if anything goes wrong on the pitching side because they're right now they're hoping that everything just works out perfectly because there is no depth. What if Lance McCullers uh, he's not ready or what if he gets hurt again early in the season? What you know, Lance McCullers is a massive question mark. And he's your number three starter. What about Jose Arquidi? Yeah, he looked good at the end of last season. But that's the only record of Jose Arquidi. Teams adjust. You don't know what's going to happen. That's your fourth starter. And then who's the fifth starter? Is it Josh James? Is it Brad Peacock? One of the, somebody else is going to have to step up until maybe Forrest Whitley's ready in a couple of months. I, I don't see any. I don't know about you. I don't see any scenario where he starts off the year as the Astros starting pitching. Even the number five spot.
1: Yeah, I think you'd you'd have to really wow you in spring training to think about it. I mean, the the only hope you can think of is that somebody, uh, it's always every year in spring training, there's always somebody who surprises you. And you just have to, you know, a name that that you wouldn't even think about, somebody that's not even in the conversation. Would would it be a Brandon Belak, who I know, you know, he's invited last year, and I believe he was invited again this year. Somebody that just wasn't even in the conversation, you kind of have to hope that, maybe there's a surprise there but otherwise yeah there's there's a lot of question marks in the starting rotation with the Astros so I, I, that's that's what you have going into spring training and Brent Strom can work his magic but you can only work with what you have well with everything that's going on in Houston
0: sports you you kind of need a good place and I'm going to I'm going to make a quick recommendation speaking of that is watch this transition the good place if 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 you haven't seen this have you Heard about this TV show at all, Stephen? Uh, a little bit. I haven't. I haven't seen it. I, I don't know if people are that familiar with it, but it, it's a it's an ABC show. But you can catch the first three seasons on Netflix. They've it's just four four seasons, and they just had their final episode a few days ago. And I I wanted to recommend it for Texans fans and Houston fans because one of the storylines in the show it's a it's a minor thing, but they, they reference it all throughout. the the entire length of the show is they have one of the characters is from Jacksonville and it's basically the idea. If you haven't heard about it is it's, it's four people it's right. It starts right after they die and they go to what's called the good place, but there's the good place and the bad place. So it's good place, obviously representing a heaven. And you know, uh, some people you might already know where I'm going with this, but one of the guys that goes to the good place is from Jacksonville, he's not very bright. He's, he's the the character is, he's pretty funny. He's just this real dumb guy kind of character, but he is a big Jacksonville Jaguars fan and his, his guy is Blake Bortles. And this is like the running gag throughout the show. (laughs) And there's just some great comedy off of that. And I'll just, I'll, I'll put that there. The Texans, there's even a reference to the Texans at one point in one of the episodes that they actually get a mention very quickly, but uh, yeah, that, that I love the show. It's, it's fantastic. It's with Kristen Bell, uh, who's, I mean, she's the best and, and Ted Danson, I'm, I'm a diehard Ted Danson fan going back to cheers. So you got a, you got a couple of heavyweights there to work with. Uh, but I just wanted to recommend that. Cause I just, I just love the Texans and the, and the Blake Bortles. I mean, this guy is, he is the biggest Blake
1: Bortles fan ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel sorry for him, but anyway, yeah. But if you're talking about a heaven, you know, we we were living in Houston Sports Heaven a couple of years ago. You have to hope that. I mean, these things goes go in phases, so you never know. I mean, the season hasn't started yet. Maybe the Astros can get us back to that heaven. And maybe the Rockets can turn it on, and then the Texans. Well, yeah, it's just too far away to tell. So we're we're, too, we're still we're still nursing that. 24 to nothing, blowing a lead to the eventual Super Bowl champs to even think about that. A couple of
0: quick reminders just to close it out. I've been doing the Throwback Thursdays. This past Thursday, I talked to Mickey Herskowitz. He talks about covering the very first Super Bowl played in Houston. If you didn't know, there was a Super Bowl actually at Rice Stadium back in 1974. That was the first one that was here in Houston. So Mickey Herskowitz, legendary Houston Chronicle and post-sports writer, 50 plus years, he told a, told a great story about the media poker game that got busted by the Houston cops. That was my favorite story right there. Yeah, that that was that was fantastic. But it's just really interesting. Uh, if you can, do us a favor, retweet us or share our link on Facebook. We would love a little bit of a shine for the show if you're enjoying it. It uh, really helps us out. We'll talk to you again in a couple of days. <laughs>